Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along. Well, do we have a special presentation for you this evening? Myself, Sean Palmer, Seth Kamen's The Bate Owls. It's the triumphant, the three musketeers, whatever you wish to call us, the three idiots. We're all here, and we're here to discuss the Hall of Fame. Seth Kamen's The Bate Owls. Seth, how you doing? I'm good. Jake and I are ready to roll as I watch my beloved Terps losing at Penn State right now. Woo. And Syracuse will start at 8 o'clock. And Nabate, who is in the greatest of moods this evening, how are you, sir? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I'm all right. You know, all right. Ready to get it rocking and popping. All right? Great. So, yes, so just so everybody's aware, this is, this is going to be the format of tonight's show. So we have eight Hall of Famers. It's a yes or no contest. We're going to try and convince you one way or another whether these eight players should be in the Hall of Fame. All retired, all eligible for the Hall of Fame as of today. We have baseball first. Mm-hmm. We'll go to football, basketball, and then hockey to end because we all love hockey. Well, at least I do. But most of us like hockey. So yeah, we'll start it off. We're going to take three minutes per person. So one person will go first. Then the second person will go after. Obviously, that's the way it works. Then we'll have a little bit of a discussion then we'll move on, and we'll see how we can go through this. So with your first three minutes, we have Nabata Owls with the positive for Jeff Kent. Why should Jeff Kent be in the Hall of Fame? Mr. Owls. All right, here we go. So Jeff Kent, yes, indeed. Um, a good player and a player that developed. He was a late bloomer because with the New York Mets, he was a decent player from the standpoint of uh, he still put up decent, good power numbers for a second baseman where he averaged um, 17 home runs and about 70 RBIs um, from 1993-95, and that's when the Mets were rebuilding. So then he um, goes on to Cleveland, and still his career around 28, you, you would say that he was an, you know above the average second baseman because he had pop in his bat. But when he went to the San Francisco Giants and was able to put up monstrous numbers from from 1998 to 2005, check out the averages he had in those years. That it, like it is comparable to any second baseman in the history of the game. 200, I'm sorry, 253 total home runs, averaged 28 home runs per season, 994 RBIs. That's almost a thousand RBIs in eight seasons as a second baseman. 
and 110 RBIs the average, batted 296. He was a major reason and won the MVP award as well in 2000, a major reason for the San Francisco Giants being perennial contenders. And, of course, unfortunately, they, they had a very tough loss in the 2002 World Series where they led 5 nothing, uh in the bottom of the eighth inning and the uh, Anaheim Angels came back. But Kent, pretty much when you compare him to offensively to all of the second basemen in the history of baseball, he's up there in the leaders. 1,518 RBIs, 377 home runs, 290 batting average. That is Hall of Fame numbers for a second baseman. And and I think, like, definitely the, the top second baseman in the game during that time period, uh, a period of eight to nine years. So, you got to put Jeff Ken in the Hall of Fame. He's not first ballot, but he has to go in for sure. And and he's someone that okay didn't have the greatest at- attitude. You know, had some had some um you know some issues from the standpoint of getting along with teammates. Did not get along Barry Bonds, but he was still a tremendous, effective baseball player. And uh, I got to put him in the Hall. All right, great. So the counterpoint from Mr. Cayman's. Why should Jeff Kent not be in the Hall of Fame? Well, first of all, I think thinking about these arguments is pretty valid in a lot of ways. Um, the way, but when I think about Jeff Kent, I don't really think about. I, I look at him in a couple of ways. Number one, yes, he had five or six phenomenal years with San Francisco, and his home run numbers for a second baseman are very good, as is his RBIs. But I think about. I almost think, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a guy who played for six teams in 17 years. And he was pretty much booed out of a lot of these teams. Debate stated that he was not particularly well-liked. I think that's an understatement. I think also, when you look at some of his stats, this is an extraordinarily hitter-friendly era. And I'm not accusing him of being in that, in the steroid, because he's never been accused. Nothing ever even touched on that. It was a very hitter-friendly era. Um, as good an offense, he was a very solid offensive player. I don't know if I would have put him above Craig Biggio as the best second baseman of his era. I don't know if I would have put Roberto Almar was a little bit before him, but was still during that frame was in, was I believe a step above both of them. When I in Sean, for instance, is a big sabermetrics guy. And I looked at the sabermetrics when I was kind of doing some research on this. First of all, his defense was terrible. He was a below defense. He was a below defensive, average defensive player at second base. And I realized that can be over that can be overshadowed or that can be overdone by his hitting. But his defensive wins above replacement was a negative .6, which is I think 58th out of 68th in the rankings during that era. His WAR, which is wins above replacement, is 146. He had a there's a, a sabermetric called Jaws, which deals with uh, the wins above replacement and for both a career and for average. The average for the 20 Hall of Famers uh, at second base was you had a WAR of 70, your best seven years were 45, and the other Jaws was 57. His were 55, 36, and 45. His numbers, a lot of them. He was also remember he was hitting. As you said, his best years were with San Francisco. I don't think there's any question about that. It must be nice to have Barry have the best home run hitter of all time hitting right behind you. Makes things a little bit easier. 
you know, the argument we're going to have with a lot of these players isn't are they good or are they even very good. Um, that's if they were not good or very good, they wouldn't be in this discussion. When I think of Hall of Fame, and this is an argument that Sean and I have had over the years on this show, I think of the Hall of Great. I have never thought of Jeff Kent as a great as a great as a Hall of Fame esque player. Very good, yes, but considering he's never, I don't believe he's broken twenty percent on in get in the in the Hall of, in, in in voting at this point. I don't. I just don't see him as a Hall of Famer. I see him as a very solid player who will probably never get. Who probably will never get there. Well, I think Seth. I think you both bring up very valid points. Look, Jeff Kent was probably the best hitting second baseman of his generation. I I, I think he was a best better power, best, pa- best power hitting though. Best power hitting well, second but, baseman of his generation. Would you put him above well, Gio as a hitter? No, well, well no, but he's still bad. This is, this is he's still bad at three this, near three hundred in his prime. Prime. Okay, years. so here's the thing: Biggio was a compiler. Biggio was one of my favorite players of all time, no doubt. Biggio got into the Hall of Fame because Biggio won a Gold Glove as a catcher, as a second baseman, as a center fielder, and had three thousand hits—the magical number of three thousand hits. I think Kent was a better hitter than Craig Biggio, a better hitter. Does it overcome what he did on the field? No. He was a below-average third baseman, a below-average second baseman. Just a terrible teammate. But if you want to go seven teams, then you have an elimination of Reggie Jackson. You have an elimination of Terrell Owens. You have an elimination of a lot of Hall of Famers. So I'm not sure the seven teams really does anything for me. Nabate, go ahead. And also um, one thing about Kent, Kent batted behind Bonds. Bonds batted third, Kent batted fourth. He was the cleanup hitter for that team as well. So so whenever Bonds got on base, Kent made sure to, to get him in. You know, like you can always depend on Kent to be hitting behind him. So Kent didn't bat in front of Bonds. He batted behind him in those lineups, those San Francisco Giant lineups. And, um, and just in general, like, you know, you look at, like, there are not many second. Also, there have been atrocious defensive players there in the Hall of Fame. There have been DHs that like David Ortiz that's going to go into the Hall of Fame, you know, not comparing them both, but at least Kent played on the field and you have someone as recent as Daniel Murphy who is who has been a prolific hitter over the past two seasons now because he to me he was the MVP in the National League uh this past season to me. But you know that that's the thing. Like you still have fielders in the Hall of Fame that weren't, you know, people that weren't great fielders in general. You know, Mike Piazza wasn't the greatest uh, fielder who just got inducted. So, you know, you you have to look at what made him effective during his time with, you know, during his time and during when he was prolific. 110 RBIs, averaging 110 RBIs in a nine-year stretch, is unbelievable for a second baseman. It really is. And he also had double move on. Mm-hmm. I'm looking actually at kind of way, the stats that are similar for players. Uh, that, forgetting the second base aspect, but even from a hitting standpoint, Dave Parker, Miguel, Miguel uh, Tejada, Scott Rowland, Jim Rice, Luis Gonzalez. These are, these are the people who's coming up as similar in that level. Very good players, although Rice is a Hall of Famer, and that's debatable as well. But a very good player. But yes, he was fourth, and Bonds was third. But 
having bonds anywhere in your in that lineup next to you before or front before or in front of or behind is certainly going to impact the pitching. And but it, to me, but it, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You can. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. You also, okay. Okay. Um, but uh, also too, remember without Barry Bonds in his late 30s with the LA Dodgers, late 30s into 40 years old, he still he still was able to to average uh, over 20 home runs and average around 80 RBIs and bat around 290 in his late 30s without Barry Bonds. All right, guys, so we have to move on here. We have to move on from here. I I do like the fact that Seth is utilizing baseballreference.com. We can certainly tell from his statistics going (laughs) on here. The boss has some excellent points. And since these two are at it again, I'm going to go with Seth first. Tell me why Mike Mussina is not a Hall of Famer. To me, it's a little bit more of a difficult argument um, than the Kent. Mussina I'm going to use a word that you actually used with Craig Biggio. Lucina, in a lot of ways, was a compiler. He was a very good pitcher for a very long period of time. Jim Codd-esque, Tommy John-esque. His, but he had, I think he, only, he won 20 games one time in his last, his last season, in the last game he ever pitched, in the last game, last game of the season, I believe. He was a solid 17-win guy for a very long time. I don't. He never won a Cy Young. He his his total wins was decent, nothing special. Um, his career ERA of three seven was I think three six eight. Would it make him the third? Would have the third highest? Would be the third highest ERA for any Hall of Famer behind Red Ruffing and I forget the other guy, but he was from. He's, he's even older than I am. I think he's from like I think he's from the eighteen nineties. Mussina was a very very good pitcher. But, again, I go back to the, disc- the point I always seem to make with these. Was he the best of his era? I don't think so. Was he among the best? He's in the ballpark. I, wouldn't ha- I have less of an argument with him making it than with, than with, um, with Ken. And I think he eventually gets in. But to me, he's a Hall of very, very good. Borderline, a borderline Hall of Famer, which I, could probably, which I would go either way on and not really give a second thought to. It's interesting because the the pitching certainly you said he has no special numbers his winnings his wins are not special. However, I think in the in the concept of pitching these days, you may not get to those special wins anymore. You may not get to the 300 number, and 250 may be the new 300. And that's something that we have to take a look at with John Smoltz getting in, Kurt Schilling looking to get in. There will be a lot of pitchers coming up in the next couple of years that will not have that magic 300, and a lot of precedent is going to go on. Now, Nabate, tell me why Mike Messina should be in the Hall of Fame. All right. Well, I have to say the Moose was from 19, pretty much from 1992 when he started. He was an all-star, had a 2.54 ERA, 18 wins, 5 losses. From 1992 all the way basically to 2004, 2005, when he was with the Yankees, signed a big free agent deal. He, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball in his era. He finished in the Cy Young voting, in the top five of the Cy Young voting. He finished uh, six times, finished in the top six eight times. One also, too, he won five gold gloves. 
So that shows that he was one of the best fielding pitchers of his era as well. So he wasn't one-dimensional just being a good pitcher. Also, another thing with Messina, the durability, major durability, and this is like the last time we saw pitchers, pretty much we see pitchers compiling innings. Messina from, from 1995 to uh, from 1995 to uh, 19, 2003, nine straight years, he had over 200 innings pitched by far in each of those seasons. Pitched over 220 innings uh, in six of those years. So you look at in five of those years, excuse me, and also pitched 241 innings in 92. So the durability, the fact that he was a top five pitcher in the American League for over a 10-year period, uh, was And also, remember, the Baltimore Orioles, the last time they were really contenders, he was their ace. Then in, after 1997, they didn't make the playoffs until uh, 2012. Uh, was the, Then they made the playoffs 15 years later. He went to the Yankees in 2001. He was the rocket at, uh, rocket at, um, uh, of that, um, excuse me, that um, rotation. And remember, too, Burt Bylevin and him have very similar numbers. Burt Bylevin, similar whip, similar ERA, uh, similar innings, and wins totals as well. And Burt Bylevin made the Hall of Fame easily. So how come Mike Mussina, who, who when relief pitching in the 90s started to take more pre- precedent, he still put in major innings and had a rubber arm for years. So he should get in. Like, he was pretty much an Iron Man. He was a throwback. He's really He should have been pitching in the 60s and 70s. So basically, Mussina uh, is is a Hall of Famer, great fielder as well as a as a good pitcher. And also in the postseason, he he was very effective in the postseason. He had he struck out more than one had more than one strike more than one strikeout per um, per per inning, as well as had a three point four two ERA, seven and eight record, but still was solid in the postseason. Had dominant outings. So, Mussina that longevity as well as his versatility as a player, gets him in the Hall of Fame. And like I said, you compare him to, compare him to uh, Burt Bylevin, it, it, it's, their numbers are even. Well, well yes Bylevin no. certainly – we, we all know Burt Bylevin one of my guys, and he has been my guy for – much like Tim Raines. Yeah, I, he's, I he, 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 he's your Burp pitching Blyle. version of Tim Raines. But Burt Bylevin didn't get in either. Hold he got in on his 14th on attempt. But Bylevin has some things over Mussina, and I'm not saying Mussina's in or out, but Bylevin certainly has some things over Mussina. Number one, he wasn't easily in. He got in on his last year. So – and, and, that, and, that, and that was – yeah, that, that's my mistake. That's my mistake in the debate. Thank you for the correction so, on that. Absolutely. So, so that's number one. Number two, Burt Blylevin had 59 shutouts in his career. I don't know how many Mussina has. I didn't do the research for this, but nobody has 59 shutouts anymore, and those are complete game shutouts. Mus- but Mussina had 23. You hit the Burt Blylevin button, and I was kind of like, eh. But um, well, as as also, Bly Levin had well, a thousand no, more. The reason was, why I compared, was, though, okay. mm-hmm. sorry, sorry. Was, was Mike well, Messina ever the best pitcher on the Yankees? Uh, yes. There were a couple well, of years that I he would, was. Yes, I don't. I, I would okay. even I would concede that. Um, he not during any not well. He never won a championship, unfortunately, with the Yankees. He was there for a one yet, when they he, lost. You know it's messed. You know what's messed up about that? 2000, they won a championship. That was his last year with Baltimore. Then after 2009, after 2009 <laughs> was his first season away from the Yankees when he retired and they won the title. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So he had Don Mattingly syndrome. 
yeah, it's actually <laughs> exactly. very similar. The issue with Bly Levin also, Bly Levin, number one, Bly Levin openly pretty much <laughs> solicited votes for the Hall of Fame, if you remember, more than anyone I've ever seen. He had a thousand more strikeouts, and he also played on a lousy team for the most part of his career. Yes, they won championships in 87 yep. and 90 or 91, but they were terrible for probably for the, for the crux of his career. And, I mean, this is, a, as again, this is a very difficult – this is as borderline to me as he gets. Um, you know, he, he led the league, you know, he led the league in wins once his ERA was not special. His strikeouts were not special. His fielding was special. Um, he was probably one of the two or three best fielding pitchers of our generation. Um, I can see the argument either way. I don't, I think eventually he probably does get in, but I'll be, as I said, I'm not going to give, I wouldn't give. As a Yankee fan, I thought he was a class act as well, so I would like to see him get in, but I'm not pushing one way or the other. And I think in a down year, he will. I just don't think it's happened well, yet. Bly, or it certainly hasn't happened Seth, yet. Just so you know, but, Bly, but, but Bly can, I, can I actually one can three three response? Yeah, it's about that. Yeah, go ahead, Nevada. Yeah, yeah. In my response, and that's what I was saying about Bly Levin, he pitched in a pitcher's era where pitchers were throwing – 250 to 320 innings per season. Frank Tanana, Nolan Ryan, Steve Carlton, those guys. Like, so that's the thing. Like he, so of course he would be able to get wins, but he also had a lot of losses with those terrible twin teams. But that's what I mean with the difference. By uh, Musina was still his winning percentage was much better as well. He had a 60, 63.8 winning percentage as well. So that's the thing. Like, that's what I'm saying. He was able to have a rubber arm, and he was a throwback compared in the 90s, relief pitching set more of a precedent. And he was able to get decisions, leave the game, and be able to get decisions without having to pitch nine innings like Bly Levin did. So that's what I'm saying. And remember, you cannot take away the five goal gloves. I think go, def- we talked about defense with Jeff Kent earlier. You said that was a detriment to Jeff Kent being a Hall of Famer. Then the goal gloves should, be, should really enhance Mike Messina being a, a versatile player. You will absolutely okay. get no argument from me. Just so you know, two things, and then we'll move on. One, Bly Levin won three championships because he won one with Pittsburgh. So that's important to note. Number two, who's the man that has the most gold gloves for any pitcher in history? Jim Cott. Jim Cott, Cott, who has 268 wins. So it's just an interesting side to what we're looking at with Messina. About the same wins, different era, Looking at the gold gloves, I don't think Cock got more than 5% any one year. Okay, we need to move on for football, which supposedly I have two of the the guys. (laughs) I will take over for now. Okay, so the the two – I will be debating the second second Hall of Famer. The first one, uh, one one of the great linemen, defensive linemen of his era, overshadowed a little bit because of where he played and who he was. Uh, Nabate, why should L.C. Greenwood be in the Hall of Fame? L.C. Greenwood was a very versatile player. He was one of the great run-stopping defensive ends in the history of the game. He was part of that steel curtain, just like Joe Green. You know, like, he was as significant 
as Joe Green was in his day um, when they were both, when they, you know, four-time Super Bowl champions when they anchored that defensive line. But L.C. Greenwood, he was someone that, that, that had, that, like I said, could stop the run, could rush the passer, and he did a lot, a lot for that defensive team. Remember, you have Mel Blunt. That is a Hall of Famer. You have Jack Lambert. It's a Hall of Famer. Jack Lambert, I think, was an overrated middle linebacker because he had that great defensive front in front of him. Jack Ham was able to do a lot, you know, um, and be able to be effective with those guys in front of him. So L.C. Greenwood was someone that was, was very, very effective. He was dominant at times. And if you put if you put Blunt in the Hall of Fame and Lambert in the Hall of Fame, Joe Green in the Hall of Fame, Jack Ham, I believe, is in the Hall, I believe, you have to put L.C. Greenwood as well. Especially, you know, and, and like I said, pass rushing, he, you know, he was able to, to do a lot from the standpoint of pass rushing, he was, and and he had he had the size, he had everything going for him for that Steelers team. So, I would say Elsie uh, Greenwood definitely should be in the hall, and and probably he'll go in as a veteran, the veteran committee. But you have a lot of veteran guys that are in that are like, okay, you know, whatever, you know. But six-time Pro Bowler, also two-time First Team All Pro. With a talented defense, also 1970s all time all decade team as well. Remember that 1970s all decade team. He was in that, and the off and the defensive, uh, the defensive players on that were Carl Eller, Hall, uh, no, not a Hall of Fame, Carl Eller, Jack Youngblood, six-time finalist. Joe Green is on that too. Bob uh, Lilly is there too. So you have that there. LC Greenwood should be in. Okay, Sean. And he was second. He Why was should? second. Excuse okay. me. He was second. He was second. Um, second. Uh, uh, second team actually. Okay. And six-time finalist. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sean. Why? Why should LC Greenwood not so, be in the Hall of Fame? Okay, so I don't necessarily have deep roots in this. I, when we did all this strategy, it was a one through five, and I come squarely on a three. And the reasoning <laughs> I have this is very. The reasoning I have this is very simple. You cannot induct a whole team. It just doesn't work. This isn't like the 1980 Olympics team that got inducted or, or a tag team in the WWE Hall of Fame. You cannot induct every dealer from that team. And no, when we were no, talking no. about Jeff okay. Kent before, hold on, we are drop, drop, talking about Jeff Kent before, Seth minimized Jeff Kent because he played on a team with Barry Bond. Navate, I get your point about Lambert. I get your point about him, but some of that also has to apply to L.C. Greenwood to me. You have mean Joe Green in the middle that's taking up four guys. So, of course, you're going to be able to get around the corner a little bit better when you have a guy in the middle that's taking up all those men. Donnie Schell's not in the Hall of Fame for that very reason. Donnie Schell should be in the Hall of Fame too. But you know what? You can't induct the whole team. I don't necessarily dispute the fact that L.C. Greenwood will get into the Hall of Fame. In fact, I believe he will. My point is that while dominant a defense it was, not every player did it on its own, his or her, his or her, his, they're all his, <laughs> his merit. So the fact that you can't induct everybody, and the reason he hasn't been inducted so far, I truly believe, is because they – because the Hall of Fame Veterans Committee has the same 
concept that I do. There are just too many of them in there. So that's the reason he hasn't gotten in. It's going to take some time. I think Greenwood eventually does get in. Like I said before, I had him as a three. It's not a one. It's not a five. It's a three. So let's go with that. I concede this, and I'm going to concede the next Hall of Famer, too, because I had him as a three also. I don't understand why I'm doing football, but it's okay. So, you know what, Nabate? Well, we, you win. Game on. Induct them we, tomorrow. The, we're good. The reason, we, the reason you were probably not included in the Mike Mussina argument was because you would have brought up Burt by 11, and that was, just not, that was just not tenable for this discussion. Darn it. Um, anyway. <laughs> Nabate brings up – you do bring up a lot of good points. His stats are fantastic, and you, you both bring up good points because the, I, I agree the issue – and to me, Donnie Shaw would have been probably in before Elsie Greenwood, although I think they both get in eventually. But Nabate, I want to ask your opinion on it. We're talking – you said mm-hmm. Lambert. Overrated or not, he's in. Jack, uh, Andy Russell, in. Jack Ham in. Uh, Green, in. Blunt, in. At what point, you can, I mean, when you look at the great defenses of all time, you look at the 85 Bears, Singletary was, it was an absolute stud, in. Hampton, in. But you, can't, you don't see eight people from that defense in there. The Ravens of 2000, Ed Reed's going to be in. The, uh, Ray Lewis is going to be in. Oh, Ed, Ed Reed wasn't on that team. Lo- oh, that's right. Ed Reed wasn't after, on the team. Fault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you have Woodson in. You have Woodson in. You, you're going to have Suggs in. You're going to have Lewis in. So you got no Suggs wasn't on that team either. Suggs wasn't on that team. I don't think was Suggs wasn't on that team, and I don't even know Suggs yeah, the whole time. Oh, you're right. Sorry, that was that was Adelius Thomas. Right, the Bate, but the argument is, I mean, for these all-time great, we, these all-time great defenses. Now, admittedly, they were not as great for as long a period as the Steelers were. But at at what point do you have to kind of, do you have to say enough? But but also, like I said, he was a first-team All-Pro for two seasons in a row, he's seventy-four, seventy-five, and also the sacks. He was one of the first. He you know he was one of the great pass rushers of his era. That was the thing, like, and, and could stop the run. That was another thing about him. So it wasn't that Joe Green was taking up. I don't think Joe Green was taking up all those blockers in the middle. Still, you know, still, Elsie Green was a left defensive end that had to, excuse me, a right defensive end that had to deal with left tackles, you know. So that dominant left tackles at the time, and he got to the quarterback at will. And remember, he had four sacks against Roger Starbuck in Super Bowl Ten. That's a hell of a performance right there. He could have been named the uh, most valuable player for Super Bowl Ten. So, excuse me. So I think Greenwood should – he has to be added from what he contributed and his dominance related to other defensive ends. I, I don't dispute okay. any of what you just said. Not, not yeah. one bit. I, but I know that we, I have, we have to move – we have to move on to Chuck Howley. So, Nabate, will you please do the honors for Chuck Howley? Well, All no, right. Well, Chuck Howley. Wait, I thought Chuck Howley <laughs> yes. was So, because we have um, – yeah, yeah, I, I think – yeah, I'm, I'm the moderator for this one. But we oh, have okay. um, you're, you're Chuck Howley. Yes, yes. <laughs> Chuck Howley, um, very interesting player, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl five, uh, champions, and the only player – to win MVP on a losing team 
as well. Six-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, part of the Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor, uh, one of the great one of the great players of the 60s and 70s. So let's uh, go with uh, first. We will have Seth give his give his reasoning why Chuck Holly should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I, I think you kind of named half of it right reasons <laughs> right there. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of look through. He was Super Bowl MVP in five when they lost to the Colts in probably the worst Super Bowl of all time. He actually almost won. He could very well have won it when they went back the next year uh, with a fumble recovery and an interception when they beat, when they beat the Dolphins. Tom Landry has been a coach was a coach for how long he was an assistant for the giants for several years before he became the head, co- head coach for the Cowboys in 60. And then he left when Jimmy Johnson 89. took over in 80, right. 88, 88, 88 so was is, last year. Okay. So he was involved with football for 37 years and said he was the best coach, best linebacker he's ever seen. That alone should be enough. Six-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, you know, as you said, Dallas Cowboy Ring of Honor, players you can never imagine. Unfortunately, I mean, he played long. He did play for about 12 years before his, his, he, got, he actually got hit, unfortunately, on, on, by, a crack, by, a, by a crackback block. And that was the end of, end of his um, career. I find it – I actually find it unbelievable he isn't in the Hall of Fame. Um, when I, as I said, when you think of the great linebackers of the '60s, Tommy Nobis, Joe Schmidt, Sam Huff is a little bit before that, but usually Chuck Howley's name is right. Willie Lanier, Chuck Chuck Howley's name is right there, and that he that he has that he isn't in, I really think is a shame. And this is someone who does not like giving credit to Cowboys, but um, I, I think to me this isn't this one's kind of a no-brainer. All right, and uh, now, Sean, your reasoning for why Chuck Howley should not be in the Hall of Fame. I don't got one. We're back to the same <laughs> point where I had it as a three. No, the fact is, you know what, Chuck Howley's not in the Hall of Fame. There's really no reason other than the fact that he's out of sight and out of mind. And the NFL has tried to do this in a different way over the next couple of years, next I think they have this as a 10-year thing, where there are two contributors one year and one senior or, um, or legend committee member each year. And it goes back and forth. So next year there will be two senior members and one contributor. And that's kind of why Paul Tagliabu probably won't see the light of day for a couple of years, if not over a decade as far as I'm concerned. But the fact of the matter is he probably will get in, but – the problem is he's so out of sight and out of mind. He hasn't played in 40 years, so people don't remember him. And he doesn't have those sexy stats because it was before the sack. It was before they really counted tackles. So there are no the, – the issue with older players is that those sexy stats, stats just didn't exist. So it's very hard to enumerate what a Jerry Kramer did. It's very hard to enumerate what a Chuck Howley did. In some ways, it's hard to enumerate what an Elsie Greenwood did, but it's not really hard to enumerate what Richard Dent did because Richard Dent had a sack number. So if Tom Landry says he's the best linebacker he's ever seen, who am I to dispute what Tom Landry says? I mean, Tom Landry is the king of Dallas football. 
I do dispute the fact because he's in a ring of honor that all of a sudden he's a Hall of Famer because yeah. I don't know. You, I mean, we have, a, ring we of have a Secretary of Education right now because she paid her way in. I'm sure somebody could pay their way into the to the ring of honor. But anyway, that's a whole other show right there. Hey, oh, that's, <laughs> that's that a whole other podcast. A whole other show. Anyway, but the, there'll be a lot more drinking during is, that one. Yeah, you know, the Bate and Seth, you guys are right. There's really no reason for him not to be in. The reason he's not in is pretty much the same or very similar to Greenwood. Is out of sight and out of mind. I'm okay putting him in. Uh, look, put him in. Great. That ends this, this segment of our broadcast. Let's move on to something else we're not a part of, and that's the NBA. So let's move on to the NBA where suddenly my fives and my ones, oh, no, I'm a part of this. Awesome. Nabate, take it away with Rudy T. All right, so we have Rudy Tomjanovich uh, was involved with one franchise his entire career, well, until he coached the L.A. Lakers, but was uh, associated with the Houston Rockets as a player and a coach. So we will go with Seth first on why Rudy Tomjanovich should not be a Hall of Famer. Am I right, Seth? I think you had him not going to the Hall, right? Yeah, no, I don't have him in the Hall. hall. Go into the Hall. Oh, you don't have him in the hall. Yes, yes. So, um, no, Seth, I don't have him. Take it away. Take no. it away, my um, friend. Rudy, Rudy T was a very nice player and a very nice coach. And there's a bit of a an asterisk on both. Rudy T, you know, went to Michigan, reti- as his number retired. Of course, we're talking professional basketball. We're talking basketball hall fame. We're inclu- we have to include college as well. But he goes – he's a five-time all-star but his his stats really, unfortunately, when he got punched by Kermit Washington in 1977, after like after five or six years, he never came back the same player. And you know he had a his career average of 17 points. He averaged about 17 and eight. So did Buck Williams. You know he's a very nice player. He's a very popular player, but he wasn't someone who I would consider a hall. I would even think of in the Hall of Fame. And then you go to the coaching. He was a good coach. He won two championships in the in, in an era that will always be the non-Jordan era. There's no there's no other way to look at it. Jordan retires in '93 for two seasons. Houston beats a you know, and I hate because I know you guys a pretty mediocre for a for a finalist for a finals team Knicks in an extraordinarily green Orlando Magic. Um, it was. Wait, well, they, I'm sorry. It was the <laughs> one who was there. They beat who was. I, I can just see where this is going. They, they beat. He beat who was there. He was a very good coach. And then after that, really kind of dissipated. He, um, you know, the last four years he was in Houston, they didn't make the playoffs. They, he, you know, he did coach an Olympic game, Olympic team, but I mean, it's really hard. To lose with an, to lose in the Olympics at that point, um, very good. I wouldn't put him great in either way, and on either as a coach or as a, as a player. Very good, and I'm a hall, a hall, I'm a hall of great guy. Okay, I look, Seth. I see your points, and I compare him to Joe Torre because Joe Torre was not a great player. And he was a very good manager on great teams. And he had great players. 
And I don't see Joe. To- I don't see many people losing with the Yankees. The same way as you are saying, you need to coach the team that you have at the time that you have. Well, Nabate, not to not to say anything different, but you could have put Terry Collins in a Yankee uniform, and he probably would have won a championship with that team, and he can't manage a bullpen to save his life. So the fact <laughs> is, Rudy Tomjanovich has the career record for rebounds at Michigan. He was the number two pick overall, made five all-star teams. You're right. He has that asterisk. He got punched by Kermit Washington, which may be the best punch I've ever seen. It landed square oh, on the right. jaw and the face. Well, you got you to you gotta watch the Mikey Garcia fight from two weeks ago. But All right, can't. sorry. Sorry. Anyway, all-star five <laughs> times, didn't win the championship ring, but then top ten finishes, minutes played, three. Top ten free throws, top ten points, top ten points per game. He did that once each in 73 and 74. Joe Torrey is very similar in the fact that his career as a player didn't get him into the Hall of Fame. His career as a manager got him in, and it was a combination of the both. And I think that's where you, where Rudy Key gets over the hump. And, look, you just made a case that Chuck Howley was going to be a Hall of Famer because Tom Landry said he should be a Hall of Famer. Well, Kobe Bryant wanted to be managed by two people, and isn't Kobe Bryant one of the best players of all time? Wanted to be managed, coached by three people in his career. One of them happened to be Rudy T. So he kind of thinks that he's kind of good. So even though it didn't work out, um, so yeah, Rudy T. in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I think when you combine. The body of work, yes, that is the first time we have said that on this program. The body of work, you you have a Hall of Famer. And I think I put him as a four. And and I have to add, before we have uh, both your closing remarks on Rudy Tomjanovich, I have to add with Tomjanovich, he – he overall, like from the standpoint, he he's in the top 25 in in winning percentage of coaches in NBA history, and and you look at someone that that also too. Remember, this Houston Rockets team did not get over the hump until Tom Donovich took over as their coach. They were they were perennial contenders, but they didn't get over the hump. And that New York Knicks team in 1994 was a very good New York Knicks team because they were the second <laughs> best team in the, they were the second be, no they were the second best team in the East. I mean, and then of course when Jordan retired, they took over as the number one team in the East. And then, but no, no, but but just one other thing, one thing. Um, and another thing about Tom Janovich is that a six seeded Houston Rockets team in 1995, no six seed has ever won the NBA championship. And they they had a great run, and that and that was to Rudy T. And they defended their title, and any co- and coaches that have won two championships, they're all in the Hall of Fame. Well, they I remember I remember the run well. I remember Mario Mario Ellie hit a huge three pointer in Game Seven against Phoenix. Uh, to get my I don't remember with the conference semis or the conference finals. But I remember, I remember the run that they had. That was when they brought in Drexler halfway through the year. The semis, the semis against Phoenix. Okay. Semis. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I'm, I'm doing it off the top of my head. And they came back from a three, and that's it. Three came one. back from a one-three yep. deficit, and they were the road team in Game Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, they were. But you know, you Sean, you compared them to Tory, and I understand that. But Tory won five championship, uh, four championships in five, or was it five championships in six years? Four championships in five years. Went to another one the year after. Tomjanovich went to two championships, both without Jordan yep. there. No, he didn't lose. They didn't lose to. They didn't. Lo- they didn't lose to Chicago at any point. They didn't. You know, they didn't make the finals any time before or after that. They had. They were. The next team was a good team. It was not a great team. They were a good team. Orlando was a good. Was a very, very, very young team. Um. If even if they had made another final, or something, and lost to Chicago, I can see the argument a little bit better. I have trouble seeing it. Going to two championships, I just do. Good coach, but very okay. good coach. So, but I, 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 I'm a Hall of Famer in my mind. So, Seth, Sean, I you did love hearing that you said a very, you said a very good Knicks team. That just means that they weren't just a very good team; they just happened to be a good team for the Knicks. I was just curious. <laughs> which one that was. <laughs> I, 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 oh man! <laughs> hey, my my next team is eight and forty-two, fan, and gentlemen. This is coming from a Knicks fan, so uh, in, in, I guess. But, but the fact is, you know what, Seth? I don't dispute what you just said. And I'm doing a lot of that this evening is not disputing. And if you saw my Tom Brady article, I'm totally in the non-dispute with Seth these days. But the fact is, I don't dispute it. I just have where do you draw the line? He doesn't have to be Phil Jackson to make the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have to be the best coach ever. He just has to be in comparison to other coaches. And as Nabate eloquently put, when you win two championships, history says you're in the Hall of Fame. That's it. Tom Coughlin going to the Hall of Fame? What's that? Well, that's a different sport. Different sport. Ah, different sport. sport. Different sport. I was saying history (laughs) in the NBA. History (laughs) in the NBA. But I mean – I, I made one. I, I want to say two things before we move on. Two quick things. Sure. Um, that my mistake. Case, Case, Casey Jones is is the only one not in the Hall of Fame. He's uh, as a coach. On, yeah, he's not. But I believe he's in as a player. So, um, and then and then also too that top five. I don't know the or I forgot the order. But Bob Lanier, Rudy Tomjanovich, Pete Maravich, Sam Lacey. And oh my God, who's the other player? I forgot the four, the fifth player. I'm going by my memory, but they were all like top five picks in that 1970 draft. What what a great draft! So. Yep. So anyway, right. from one so we had Nabati and Seth arguing one malcontent happily in <laughs> baseball, and now we move over to the other malcontent, which happens to be in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be in basketball. Hey, you got to give me props on the term malcontent right here. I mean, it, it's it's a big word for me these days. Mark Aguirre out of the Paul went to the Mavericks, then to the Pistons, and then Isaiah uh, he, he he was traded for Adrian Dantley, and they won a couple of championships with the Bad Boys. So, Nabate, tell me why Mark Aguirre should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a major difference. He made the major difference on the defensive end, Mark Aguirre, because Adrian Danley didn't play defense. And, and I, I can confirm that in working with Rick Mahorn a lot. 
Rick Mahorn was on on that first championship team, and he was also on the team that that Adrian Dantley was on the year before. But that was the major difference. Mark Aguirre adjusted his game. And, be, and and was always a good defender, but became a great defender with Detroit, Detroit Pistons. Now, with the Dallas Mavericks, he put up numbers. I mean, the, fir- the first uh, eight years of his career with Dallas, he averaged, uh, w- yeah, with the Dallas Mavericks, he averaged 24.6 points a game with the Mavericks. I mean, he was an elite scorer, and you, you can make comparable to Mitch Richmond pretty much. Mitch Richmond was on losing teams. But th- but Mark oh, Aguirre boy. was on teams that Mark but Mark Aguirre was on. Well, Mitch Richmond overrated, is it? No, no that's I was not what I was You that's just the... poke you just poke Seth. So continue on. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll get to oh, that okay. in a second. Oh, okay, okay, no problem, no problem. But Aguirre put up major scoring numbers, and and that Dallas team they were one win away from making the NBA Finals in 1988, and they were. Perennial contenders in the in the Western Conference. Now, uh, he wins two championships with Detroit. Also, too, you look at his college numbers as well. He was the number one pick overall out of DePaul. Like, and and he was a major major scorer for the number one team in the country in DePaul. Averaged twenty four point five points a game. Had over two thousand points in three seasons. With DePaul, because remember we're including college as well as the as well as the NBA ranks, and also he's a three-time All-Star in a very deep Western Conference with a lot of forwards at that time. So overall, Mark Aguirre, one of the great scorers, became a great defender with the Detroit Pistons, and he was that missing piece for them winning the NBA title. He he was able to make key stops. Uh, throughout those times, and also, of course, like against um, Portland, he gave Clyde Drexler a lot of troubles. It was between Joe Dumars and and him guarding Clyde Drexler, and he was an undersized uh, forward as well. He was undersized too, from the standpoint of only he was only six six really, and but he played like he was. He played like he was a bigger player from the standpoint of he would guard power forwards. He was a big, you know, physical guy. So, Aguirre overall, he's a Hall of Famer when you include the college well, and the pro ranks. Before we move on to Seth, I'd just like to point out you just poked Seth's two favorite players of all time, <laughs> referencing Clyde Drexler <laughs> and Mitch Richmond in the same exactly. set. So this should be well all done sorts of interesting. All you had to do is pull up interesting the rebuttal. Seth, I give you Mitch Richmond and Clyde Drexler. Please tell me why Mark Aguirre should be a Hall of Famer. All, all you had to do to buy was include Doctor was include Do, was include Doctor J, and you completed the triumvirate. <laughs> nice job. Um, <laughs> Mark Aguirre was not a Hall of Famer. Mark Aguirre was a very good player. He was a great college player. He was a very good scorer on Dallas. He was he was similar. It was a very it was a Jerry Stackhouse deal. Not the same kind of player, but a lot of scoring and not a heck of a lot else. Had three or four rebounds, average I think four or five rebounds over his career, averaged three assists. He he comes to Detroit. Now you said you remember in '88 they went to a brilliant seven games conference semis against the Lakers, uh, with Roy Tarpley, and that was the year Tarpley was not well, on drugs, and James Donaldson and Rolando Blackman and Derek Harper. They go to the seven game series. They lose to the Lakers. 
if he was that valuable to that team, why are you trading him? He was disliked in Dallas. Both sides, he wanted out. They wanted him out. He got dick modified. He goes to Detroit. And yes, his, his defensive game up was up massively in Detroit because it was the bad boys. You couldn't, the reason they traded Dantley is because Dantley refused to play defense. Aguirre going to play with his, with his high school, his, old, his childhood friend, Isaiah Thomas, knew exactly what the play was. He, he became a good, he became a solid defender. But how good a defender do you have to be when you have Dennis Rodman, John Sally, Bill Embiid, Rick Mahorn, Joe Dumars, and Isaiah Thomas? You have the defense. Everyone's there. He was a good player. He was a very good player. He averaged 20 a game for his career in the last four or five years, admittedly, in Detroit because he was concentrating more on Dean. He wasn't playing as many minutes, but he was playing for a winning team. Very good player. But honestly, never even contemplated him for as a Hall of Fame player until this. Um, very, very good. Not great. Not a, I mean, if you want to throw the college in, you want to throw the Olympic that he was on, maybe the Olympic team. I can see I can see a borderline argument, but never even never even crossed my mind of him as a Hall of Famer. I'll be perfectly honest before this uh, before before our rating. I think I don't I think I had him as a two. Um, I, I just never thought about it. Uh, okay. No. So so a couple of points just in the middle, and then we'll get back to the Bate. Number one, we all knew that Adrian Danley didn't play defense. We watched the game. <laughs> you didn't need to. You didn't need Rick Mahorn to confirm that. We all saw it. We all knew why he was traded to begin with. Well, of course, it's of because, course. But I had to make that reference because he played with the guy in front. No, you understood. 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 Trying to trying to create a little levity to the situation here. Uh, n- number number two, you do have to include the college game. And to 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 your point, Aguirre was a dominant college player. So and the number one pick overall, you know. So <laughs> well, so was Kwame Brown, and he's not going to the Hall of Fame either. The one thing, but that come on, he that, justified that, me. That okay. did, no, wait a second. The one thing that you did that you did give him a little bit more credit for that I would not have is being the final piece to the puzzle, because there have been several final pieces to the puzzle that are nowhere near Hall of Famers, and Butch Goring being one for the New York Islanders. You can go to many different teams. Just because you're the final piece of the puzzle doesn't necessarily make you a Hall of Famer. It does make you the final piece to the puzzle. Okay, uh, Nabate, please, your counter. Now, okay, you look at um, the Hall of Famers. You have Walt Bellamy, who had around the same scoring average. You look at Dave Bing. Dave Bing and Mark Aguirre could have comparable careers, actually, when you think about it, when you look at the scoring numbers. And and also the fact that <clears throat> Aguirre, his friend, he played on a winning team. You have Dan Issel as well, who's a great ABA player as well. So that's included in, in his Hall of Fame numbers. So you look at Mark Aguirre overall, and it's like, yes, you know, he – is his numbers are comparable. The college career is very important. Three years having two thousand points, over two thousand points in three years, that's that's amazing. People usually get to players usually get elite college players usually get over two thousand points in four years. He did it in three years. Also, the like I said, the DePaul Blue Demons were the top team in the country at the time. They didn't make a Final Four, unfortunately, but overall in the regular season, because you know the NCAA tournament is flukish. 
uh, overall, they were the top team in the country, and they've never sniffed it since he left. That's the thing. You have to look at that, that program. But as I mentioned before, two-time, two-time champion. He was the third scoring option. He still averaged in 36 minutes, still averaged near 20 points a game. His numbers went down when he went to Detroit because they were a very balanced team from that standpoint. But he provided scoring when he needed to provide that scoring. And, um, Overall, you know, you, you have to you have to look at that his overall career from college and that's what I look at. I think NBA individually, he's he wouldn't make the Hall of Fame. But when you look at overall his numbers from college, then you have to see, you know, you have to you have to give him that edge for him to make the hall. So All right. So Seth, now that Nabate has poked Clyde Drexler, Mitch Richmond, and the Syracuse grad Dave Bing. Go right ahead, and please. I got you. <laughs> I got your back on cue. Okay, first Thank of all, you. Walt Bellamy averaged 22 points and 13 rebounds a game. Market wire is nowhere near that. Dan Issel averaged 10 re- 22 points and 10 rebounds a game. Market wire is nowhere near that. I'm Dave talking about Bing the NBA. Member of the... In the NBA, yeah. NBA, okay. NBA. Okay. Dave. Well, you can only judge Walt Bellamy and Dan Issel by by what where they played. You can't judge Dan Issel strictly on playing for Denver in the NBA because he played his prime years in the ABA. Um, Dave Bing was a member of the uh, All Fifty, the All NBA. I don't think you can argue. I, I don't. I don't remember Walt, seeing Mark McGuire's name anywhere near there. But um, Walt Bellamy averaged twenty point. So he averaged the same as Mark McGuire. Walt Bellamy and had ten and had eight more rebounds a game. You know, Jeff Malone averaged oh. nineteen points a game. That's within a point of uh, of Mark McGuire too. Jeff Malone was certainly not a Hall of Famer. Was he the number? Um, was he the number one option on? Okay, sorry, sorry. I'll let you see. Okay. He was the number. He was a Jeff, Jeff. He was number one option in Washington. That's not saying a hell of a lot. I mean, he, Mark McGuire was a very good player. Whether he was a Hall of Famer or not, he did. I mean, to me, when I look at that era, it was an era of a lot of forwards scoring a lot of points. Adrian Dantley, Alex English, Kiki Vandeweghe, all these guys scored twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, twenty six points a game in their prime. Yes, Aguirre may have been the best of that group. May not have been. I don't. I honestly don't remember. Um, but there was none. Of, there was nothing except for Kiki. You think Kiko? First, Vandeweghe is certainly not a Hall. Vandeweghe should not be a Hall of Famer. No, no. I said. I, don't, I, I said think. except for Kiki. No, I okay. said except for Kiki. And but I probably all okay. Hall and of I probably that you named. And I probably wouldn't have had any of those in there too. I'll be honest. Um, they were. It, it was an era of high score. I mean, you said it. You said it before. It was a it was a it was a forward based era, and if if Aguirre only made what was it three All Star teams, what they're really saying is you know especially in years where he was averaging twenty five twenty six points a game that these guys that I just mentioned, who made more of those All Star games, apparently they were seen perceived as better. Or they and remember they thought, Aguirre wasn't liked. Aguirre wasn't they, liked. They, that, coaches, that is coaches fair. voted. A, Coaches so. voted, media voted. Aguirre was not liked. Aguirre supposedly pushed out Mata in Dallas. And I have a problem with a guy who was the, supposedly the best player in a team that took a team to the borderline of a finals and they gets traded half a year later. It just it, it rubs me the wrong way. I don't know because right, to guys, me there must got, have been. We, okay. We got we got to move on to uh, a little bit of hockey. Which I happen to have both guys, so I'll, I'll let Nabate. You you're leading. Go for it. 
All right, so Claude Lemieux, very. In, I'm I'm telling you, he's one of my favorite players growing up. This cat was, if he was on your team, you would win the championships. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, just I love the way he played and the way his, you know, that 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 hit on um on um on uh Chris Draper. Draper. Yeah, Chris yeah, Draper. that was very rough. Chris Draper, yeah, that that was very rough and uh, that was very sad to see. But other than that. Very interesting player. So now, Sean, you are first to let us know why Claude Lemieux should be in the Hall of Fame. Claude Lemieux should be in the Hall of Fame for the same reason that Dino Cicerelli is in the Hall of Fame, because he won, and he won a lot. And please do not bring up the fact that Frank Rossetti has like 20s World Series rings, and he's not in the Hall of Fame, because I know that's going to come up soon. Claude oh, big Lemieux, shot, Bob. 379 goals, tied with Ted Lindsay. Just like Ted Lindsay, he has four Stanley Cups. Lindsay's in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. Shockingly, Lemieux topped 30 goals five times in his career, had a best of 41. You're saying, yeah, he never had 400. Okay, I concede that. Did you know he scored 80 in the playoffs? Those are kind of important. He led the postseason when – when Montreal, the Canadians, won the Stanley Cup, yeah, you forgot he was on that team, didn't you? 94-95, he had 13 goals. Four game winners on his way to the Consmite and a Stanley Cup in New Jersey. Following season, he would go to Colorado and win the Stanley Cup. And here we are again with Seth going to bring up the point that it, why was he traded if he was such a great player? Well, in hockey, I think it's a little bit different than most sports. Hockey, you get those ringers. Hockey at the deadline, one guy can make a difference. And they are traded a lot more than they are in any other sport. For God's sake, Wayne Gretzky was on five teams. And he's the best player in NHL history. Bobby Orr was on two teams. Yeah, you forgot he was on Chicago at the end of the year, at the end of his career. Cody Howe. For all those reasons. What's that? Gordy Howe. <laughs> Gordy Howe with the Hartford Whalers. All of these players. Lemieux was the fourth player to win a Stanley Cup with three different teams. Three different teams. And even more so, he played on the World Cup team for Team Canada. And still, they finished second the next year he was again in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Shockingly, if you wanted to win, this was your guy. He played when he was 43 years old. I can't skate, and I'm 40. So, I mean, there has to be something to that. <laughs> so the fact of the matter is Claude Lemieux deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for the very same reason that Dino Cicerelli does. And I get that Dino had 600, 600 goals. But Claude has four cups. Dino don't got no four cups. All right. So now... Coming up on Seth on why Claude Lemieux should not be in the Hall of Fame. Go. Dino Cicerelli, as you said, had 1,200 career points. Claude Lemieux is nowhere near that. And I really don't have an issue with Claude Lemieux playing for three different teams. Again, I agree with you. Hockey is a very different sport. However, there is one thing that does kind of come into play a lot. And we, don't, we joke about it on our show that we don't take it seriously because we don't. How could a guy be in the Hall of Fame who never made an all-star game? How is that even possible? 
And yeah, Claude Lemieux never made an all-star game. Not one. Clutch player, yeah, he had some great playoffs. The playoff series, the Devils not playoff series in 95. He was fantastic. Should he have won the Consumite? Uh, probably Marty Brodeur should have won it. More Scott Stevens should have won it. But you can argue either way. I don't have an issue with that. His, he was an instigator. He was a pain in the ass. According to Cam Neely, he was a gutless puke. He was a guy you loved having on your team. He was the guy you hated playing against. But he, that doesn't make him a Hall of Famer. That makes him a pain in the bleeping ass. And that's the guy you – he's the glue guy. He's the guy you love to have. I get why the Devils wanted him. I get why Colorado traded for him. I get why Detroit had – I mean, Montreal had him. I understand that. But his stats were mediocre. He never went to an all-star game. Never – he thought of more, in retrospect, in disgust than anything else. Yes, he played a long time. Hockey players tend to do that. Um, but he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not even I, – I, I wouldn't have even thought of him again. You know, when I went to a list, it was interesting. I went to a website, not in the Hall of Fame, and it ranked the top 100 players in each sport, not in the Hall of Fame. Cole Lemieux didn't make that list. Um, he was about – he was in the honorable mention below that. Um he was not a Hall of Famer. He was an instigator. He was a clutch scorer. He was a tough guy. He was a guy I wanted on my second line in, the, in a game seven anywhere. But that doesn't make him a Hall of Famer. A Hall of Famer. Ooh, a Hall of Famer. That just makes him clutch. That's another that's another podcast. But before before we go to um, Sean to to get to give his closing argument, uh, Lemieux to me, yeah, he's like a glorified big shot Bob, glorified Robert. He's the Robert Ory of hockey, pretty much, you know. Except he, you know, except he produced more um, from the standpoint of scoring. So, and I mean, like I said, I love Lemieux. But he's someone that, I, I mean, when you look at his overall numbers and not making an all-star team, that really kind of takes him out of the mix for being in the hall, you know. Um, but that's just just me. But anyway, so, Sean, you're next to, with your so closing there, argument. There are definitely hockey players that have not made the all-star game that are in the Hall of Fame. I can tell you that flat out. 100% there are, there are hockey players that have not made the Hall of Fame. Hockey All-Star Game. Talk about a glorified exhibition. Well, Nobody can you, can you name that? Name the, some of those players? Uh, you want me to go find out? By the end of this broadcast, I will have that name for you. But the fact is, okay. there are. And you don't put a Claude Lemieux in the All-Star Game for obvious purposes because he's going to chop somebody's head off. <laughs> the, same way, the same way as I... I would like. I'm going to go find out how many All Star games Dino Cicerelli made. Because I don't think there were that many either. Maybe one or two. Clark Gillies made one. I know that for certain. One All Star game. He's an All of Fame. Just because you're an All Star doesn't mean an All Star's a glorious, like you said, glorified exhibition game. I get what you're saying. I do. However, 80 goals in the playoffs. 80 goals. John Smoltz. That's that's his whole resume. That's that's Kurt Schilling's whole postseason resume right there. 
And granted, I just picked one that was and one that wasn't. But you're going to get to that point where you're going to say, look what he did in the postseason. Look, Mariano Rivera made his name in the postseason. He did. I'm not saying he wasn't a great regular season pitcher, but he is going to shoe in the Hall of Fame, while Trevor Hoffman, who has very similar regular season stats, will not. So my point is, the playoffs count, and they count a lot. And this is not Big Shot Rob, who had one bucket to win the game. This is, he led the playoffs in scoring. This is Akeem Olajuwon in the playoffs. This is Akeem Olajuwon in the playoffs. This is not Big Shot Rob. I'm done. Okay, and Seth. Your final take on why uh, Clark? How many years? How many years did he lead the lead, Did he lead the playoffs in scoring? Twice. Did he lead one? When they won, when they won cups. So he won. He won four cups. So he and he, had a, and he, he, led, and he led twice in goals and led twice in goals. Yeah, he led twice. Okay, so probably there. the Devils in ninety. I'm assuming the Devils in ninety five and probably one of the Colorado years. So based on two or three great year, two great playoffs, and he had a couple other good ones, that makes him a Hall of Famer. That doesn't make him a Hall of Famer. Eighty goals in the playoffs, Seth. He played for fifty years. He He didn't make the playoffs all in fifteen years. He played eighty. He played for twenty years, nineteen years. He played in a lot of games. He played with three very good teams. He played with Montreal when they went to a cup. They didn't win one, but they went. He went played with the no, Devils in ninety four and ninety. They won one, but they didn't. No, they, as I said, they, they went. Won. They won a cup. They won. Yep. You know, he went. A lot of this was he played. He was never. Nobody ever said, "Man, I'm concentrating heavily on Lemieux." It didn't. Maybe the ninety five Devils team they did because they didn't have a great single singular offensive threat. But when you look at that Colorado team, who are they really looking at? They're looking at Forsberg and they're looking at Sackett. Call it what it is. Yep. You know, when you're looking Great. at that Montreal team, you're looking at Brian Bellows. You're not looking at Claude Lemieux. And you're looking, you know, again, he was a solid uh, – he's a pain in the ass. He's a guy you love to have. He was a clutch player. But he was not a Hall of Famer. Okay. All right. That that was a that was the best debate, definitely. Thank that you. was really good, guys. I, uh, yes. Thank you. Well, that just means that you guys are pretty much have to surpass it, and this one is going to be pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Beloved in New York, pretty much well-liked, as far as I could tell, everywhere. Uh, oh, Mike Richter, the go- mm-hmm. Mike Richter, the goalie of the 94 Rangers, to me, will always be the goalie for the U.S. team in 96 in the World Cup, in the, uh, in the World Cup of Hockey. Where he put on the, one of the greatest one of the greatest exhibitions of hockey of goalie goaltending I've ever seen. Played about twelve years with the Rangers. Never played anywhere else. You know, he, he, this one should be fun. The Bate, and and also for the record, let's remember there is not a team alive Sean hates more than the New York Rangers. So we'll take that for what it is. The boss say, why is Mike Richter a Hall of Famer? Oh, no, no. I say he's not a Hall of Famer. No, the other way oh. around, my friend. Ooh, this is weird. Okay. Mr. Islander fan. <laughs> why is Mike Richter a Hall of Famer? 
which just goes this- to show you how much I think Mike Richter is a Hall of Famer in the fact that Mr. Islander fan, and there is no team that I hate more than the New York Rangers, thinks that Mike Richter is a Hall of Famer. Mike Richter is a Hall of Famer. He won, 20, he won 42 games with the Rangers in 93-94, leading them to a Stanley Cup. He won the world. He won the the World Cup as we as we just the 1987 Gold Gold uh, World Championship and four games in the U.S. in the Calgary Winter Olympics. Remember again that this is not the NHL Hall of Fame. This is the Hockey Hall of Fame. Okay, so it's very important to notice that as a junior, Mike Richter played for the U.S. and won a gold medal. He won the Vezina, was a finalist for the Vesna Trophy. Had, he had a couple of bad seasons, I understand. Was an all-star to sets point, needs to be an all-star. Of course, to make the Hall of Fame, you need to be an all-star. We've talked about that numerous times. And 1998, the Nagano team. Are you kidding me? This guy is an absolute Hall of Famer for the reasons he stopped the streak with the Rangers where I didn't think that that would ever happen, and unfortunately it did. They haven't won since, to Nabate's point, that all of a sudden Hall of Famers have to be like the, the star stud and then they lose after he leaves. So they haven't, they haven't won a Stanley Cup since he left, not that they won one before he was there. So he was the missing piece, too. So I can put all, all the buzzwords that gets Mike Richter into the Hall of Fame. Mike Richter is a borderline Hall of Famer. I will tell you that flat out. He is not a perfect Hall of Famer. He has a record of 301 and 258 with a goals against of 2.89 in the NHL. And I'm sure that's what Mr. Isles is going to bring to the table in about 30 seconds. But if you take his body of work, both the juniors, the college game, the World Cups, the Olympics, and the fact that he, that he was an NHL goalie with 300 wins, this man is a Hall of Famer. All right, and uh, let me tell you, Richter. I'm the, and there's not a team I love more than New York Rangers. <laughs> so it's interesting, really? but <laughs> I'm a Ranger that. fan. Okay. Yeah, anyway. oh, yeah, of course. So anyway, um, so no, but, but since you knew that, anyway, so but no, on 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 the real though, I think Mike Richter over a long period of time did not was not the dominant goalie. He had that great season with the Rangers in 93-94. But I'm talking about was he was he a top 5 goalie in his era in the 1990s? He wasn't in the NHL. And that's the thing in goaltenders, it's very, you know, goaltenders that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, you have to be dominant throughout your time there, you know. So I look at goaltenders, you know, for you know, for example, in that era, I look at Patrick Wall. Was not a Patrick Wall. Was not a Marty Brodeur. Even though he did beat Brodeur in that close series in 1994, which was a classic epic series uh, of them of the Rangers passing, uh, moving on to the Stanley Cup. But he otherwise he wasn't a top notch goaltender of his time. And and the thing is that with Richter. The, the the amateur career great the olympic career great and and that's the thing like i think he's very good but not 
the hall of very great you know so and and Richter I think you know like he he may get into the hall and I wouldn't be upset about that but I just think that um that overall he wasn't he didn't have that dominance in the NHL for a long period of time and that's what gets him close like short of making the hall just short and I think that's a, I think I think they're both are pretty reasonable takes I mean, what I look at was what you brought up, Nabate. You look at the goal. It was a goaltending era. And, you know, the way I've always looked, and I know it's ad nauseum to Sean at this point, is, you know, I look at the best of an era. Mike Richter was not the best of an era. He was not better than Dominic Hasek. He was not better than Patrick Waugh. He was not better than Martin Brodeur. He was, on, he was a tier below that. Maybe, you know, you want to put him in the Curtis Joseph area. Fine, um, you know. So, to me, I find it's a difficult argument simply because he wasn't one of the best of his era, but at his best, he was as good as any of them. It, it was for, but it was just for to me a short, too short of a period of time, as you said. I mean, Sean, your the argument you seem to be making is 300 wins. His perform in his performance in the Olympics in the '96 World Cup, which you actually didn't even bring up, which was the best I've ever saw him play. I mean, is that you? You that's enough to get him there? Yeah, yeah, that's enough. Like I said, I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He's not a Dominic Hasek first ballot. Well, first ballot is irrelevant, but Dominic Hasek Hall of Famer, where he's a slam dunk guy. But I think internationally, he makes it. And I think you're going to have a similar argument with Curtis Joseph when it comes time for him, which will be next year, I believe, in the NHL Hall of Fame. So you're going to have a similar argument as to whether he should make the Hall of Fame. Now, Curtis Joseph does have a lot more wins. So, and he does, I believe he has a lower uh, goals against. But certainly something that we have to do. So let's and, bring this another, back around. Sure. Okay. Go ahead, Demonte. Oh, one more thing, too. With the Vezina Trophy, he only finished in the top five only twice in his career. Like, you yep. know, so that, that's another thing, too. Like, like if he was a – and the Vezina back, uh, you know, basically was the top three, really, that would get recognized, and and that was only once. So – and that was his rookie season. Um, but I think it was, it was a travesty that he wasn't – didn't get more consideration for that one season. He was only six in the Vezina, which I don't even know what in the world were they thinking. <laughs> it's just weird, you know. So, it, was, it, was a, yeah. it was a goalie era, as Seth said. You know, we mm-hmm. we talked about this last week, and we have about 12 minutes to go, so I think we should touch upon this. We have a Hall of Fame discussion going on right now, and we just had the NFL declaring their Hall of Fame. And Jake is obviously playing What's a that? piano of some sort. Little Seth is trying to do something. Oh, Jake's playing? Oh, okay, Jake's playing. Oh, right now? I got oh. Now we have to have Jake. We have to have, you, you may want to meet me for about 30 seconds. Okay, and no we problem. You did Jake. Anyway, so so, so we'll get so we have we'll to get have Jake Seth back on Herbie Hancock solos, you know? There <laughs> you go. So, some Herbie so Hancock the fact is, Nabate, <laughs> we, we have Terrell Davis making it after four years. Four real mm. years. What do you uh, – look, Seth and I discussed this last week. I was totally not on board with the Terrell Davis election, and he got elected – Seth, we both got it right. We both got seven guys. We just got the wrong seven guys. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I'm not too proud of myself for getting for getting Morton Anderson in when Terrell Owens didn't. 
Um, yep. I just. Ooh, Martin Anderson's the best kicker ever. Yeah, but at the I end of the day, Vinatieri, he's still a kicker. Before Venetary. Oh, he's he's in the argument. Terrell Owens is a Hall of Famer. I'm I'm shocked. I mean, as disliked as he was by a lot of people, he was one of the two or three best of his era. Like him, dislike him, he was impossible to guard and to guard one-on-one. He was big. He was strong. He'd go over the middle. He may have been a pain in the ass, but he was, there is but no question in my mind. He was my pain in the ass. Well, he's never my pain in the ass. But Here's the thing. You know, Nevada, I'd, like, I'd, Nevada, I'd like your, your views on this. Next week, next year, we have Randy Moss. Randy Moss did a whole lot of the same things that that Terrell Owens did. Do you think he's going to get docked nearly as much? That's a great question. Um, I think really when you think about it, um, Randy Moss actually had worse off-the-field issues. You know, marijuana uh, was kicked, you know, kicked off of the Marshall team, I believe. You know, like he was kicked off that team. Kicked Um, Kicked off of Notre Dame. Went to Marshall. Go, Notre Dame. I'm sorry. Yes, it went to Marshall. Yes, and Florida State as well. He got yeah, yep. as well. But that's before that's before the NFL. Hold on, guys. But, let's but remember has, for football. Hold on, Nabate. Let's remember for football, it actually is the Pro Football oh. Hall of Fame. So well, no, no, that's what that's what I'm gonna get to. No, no, okay. no. But that's what I'm gonna get to. He still had controversial moments with the Minnesota Vikings, a la Ter- but Terrell Owens though. You know, Terrell Owens never got in trouble. With the law, Terrell Owens. A lot of people said that he was a great teammate, and also Terrell Owens in the one Super Bowl that he was in. Terrell Owens had 150 receiving yards, while Randy Moss somewhat disappeared in his game against uh, the Giants when he played, and when the Patriots were playing for a perfect record. So, and Terrell Owens also was more physical than Randy Moss. Terrell Owens blocked. You know, he was stronger. Randy Moss did not like to go down the middle. T.O. did. So I'm, you know, I'm just saying they're they're even from that standpoint, and it's a shame. I think Randy Moss should get the same flack that Chris Carter got, that that Terrell Owens is getting. Randy Moss should still get the same flack, you know. And 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 one one more thing before we move on, well, before we stay in the conversation, before you guys have something to say, Jason Taylor, how is he in the Hall of Fame? He was not one of the top great top ten defensive ends in the history of this game because of his sack numbers? What? Like, you know, well, class act and everything, Nebato, but come on now. Nebato, I'll give you the reason. It's very similar to what I was saying before. You have a sexy number. You have a sack number. You have a defensive player of the year. I believe it was in 2011, maybe 2001. I believe it was one of those mm-hmm. two. Maybe 2001. Mm-hmm. The fact is, you have a sack number. You have a sexy number. I don't. We, neither Seth nor I picked Jason Taylor to go into the Hall of Fame last week. Neither one of us. And I was shocked that he was in there. Seth, what do you think? Were you shocked? I wasn't shocked because he's well-liked. I don't believe he belongs there. I was, but I wasn't shocked. I was shocked. To go back, to go to your Owens-Moss argument... The thing about Moss is, as bad as he was, Moss has rebuilt his image. Moss is, was was a pretty good was pretty good in New England, meaning there was no issues. 
and he got a lot of publicity and a lot of play there while that happened. He's in ESPN right yep. now, where he's getting where he's rebuilt his image and is actually it is a pretty good announcer. I think that I actually think that's why he gets in next time over Owens. Think he was a better all round player than Owens? No. Um, but Owens has been unable to shed this negative aura around him and was hated by, and his, was just immensely disliked by the media. And now that Randy Moss is part of the media, a lot of that, dis, that disagreement, a lot of that, that rancor has dissipated, I think. I think they're, I, I was not particularly impressed. I, I, I told Sean this. I thought this was one of the weak going in, uh, looking at this group. I thought this was one of the weakest classes I had ever seen. There was nothing out there. It, to me, the best player in that group was Terrell Owens. Um, there was nobody, and, Tom, and Tomlinson probably would be. No, it was right there as well. Tomlinson obviously is a Hall of Famer, but there was no one there where I looked and said that's a you know other than Tomlinson, and said, okay, that's a that's a gimme. I was shocked neither and, safety made it. I was just not impressed. Yeah, and and yeah, Jimmy, I, but one safety that made more shocked oh. that, I was even more shocked that neither one of the safeties made it, right? I mean, the That's fact that there's no Dawkins and no Lynch. Yeah, I, I I was and that Jason Taylor made it was just something of an anomaly to me. I was kind of what are they thinking? And unlike the other sports, especially baseball, which will now be incredibly transparent, and they must release their votes. The NFL seems to not want to be doing that. Mm. And and it's interesting too with Jason Taylor. I'm looking at his numbers, his career. I'm like, hmm, it's kind of interesting. He was All Decade Team in 2000. He won Defensive Player of Year 2006. Uh, Three time <laughs> All Pro. Six time pro. I'm looking at his numbers. I'm like, Interesting there, but 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 one player before we move on from the talk of the because we got to talk about Super Bowl, one player Kenny Easley, much deserved. He was the yep. second best defensive player in the eighties, behind uh, yep. behind Lawrence Taylor, no question. And Ronnie Lott will even tell you that, you know. And he didn't have the talent. Kenny Easley didn't have the talent around him like Ronnie Lott did, you know. So. Props to him, well, the enforcer, I, being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Seth and I both had him in. We got four minutes left until we got it apart. So, give me, mm-hmm. Nabate, give me one quick take on the Super Bowl and what you see for the Falcons going forward. I think the Falcons are in very good shape going forward. Um, they have, remember, the six of their core players, Deion Jones, uh, and 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 Keanu Neal and Vic Beasley, those guys are they were all drafted within the last two years. Uh, so you look at them, and also you also look at two, uh, Desmond Trufant was not he didn't play, so he's coming back. So that's another thing. So that adds another element to their defense. I think the the Falcons are going to be fine, but they have to. They just have to. Um, I think it was just bad decisions, bad coaching decisions, and they'll come back because they have a young core. They have a couple of years where they can be able to still have that same core and not have to worry about you know paying them and 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 making sure they stay. You know, so I think I think they can win the Super Bowl in the next two or three years. 
They have okay, a good Seth, core. You got one and Matt Ryan is getting minute. better. As he's, he's mm-hmm. I would you Seth, say? I got, got one, one minute. minute. Go. Job in recent memory. How they don't run the ball three times with, you know, with an eight minutes with, with an eight point lead with three minutes to go, is unfathomable. Um, you know, some of you saw on Facebook, Sean, and you can hear Jake's commentary on it in, in the background. Sean, uh, you know, wrote a letter posted on Facebook for Back Sports page saying, conceding to me that you know Brady is the greatest of all time after this, and. You know, I, I get no great satisfaction out of it. I'm not a Brady fan. But, I mean, the reality is it's subjective. It will always be subjective. I know Nabate considers Peyton Manning, I believe, considers Peyton Manning the greatest quarterback of all time. I believe. I could be wrong, but I think that's what we've discussed in the past. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to compare Idle Graham. You know, I don't know how to compare Johnny Unitas. But to me, one game doesn't cement Brady. But when you look at the surrounding his, his surroundings his surrounding players to come back from twenty five down, it just it, it just it's an incredible reflection of how what this guy means to that team, and just but it shouldn't be based on one game is is what I'm saying though. He's he's, he's no, not I, the best of all time because of his comeback. He's either the best because you think he is or because he's not, and that's what I think people okay, have to so, have to kind of get off this. So one minute left. Um, my letter was basically a cementing of it's not necessarily just because of this one game, but this one game puts it over the top for me. And that's the reason why I made it in the first place. So if you'd like to check out the letter, it's on Seth and Sean Sports page on Facebook. Please check us out. Thank you so much to Nabate Isles for joining us tonight. We had a great Pleasure, time. Pleasure, gentlemen. Thank Next you for week, having me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Next week we'll we'll go into uh, uh, the NCAA basketball because you know what we haven't talked very much about it, and the Maryland team is looking pretty good. So for Seth Kamins, Nabate Isles, and myself, Sean Palmer, thank you all very much for joining, and have yourselves a great week. We'll check you out next week. Bye bye. Peace, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.